everybody. Welcome to Momhood. <laughs> Happy Wednesday, Momhood. We're halfway through the week. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. Guys, today is a big episode. We are talking about a big topic, an uncomfortable topic. We're talking about mom rage today. And this is one of those things that most of us don't want to admit we've ever felt. We want to be like, what are you talking about, mom rage? I don't have never heard of it. Um, but we're going to go deep into this topic today. Yeah, and actually we're having on Minna Dubin and she wrote this article and I just wanted to read some of it for you guys because she talks about mom rage and this anger and the way that she writes is so relatable but also very visual. My, my son can provoke me into a state of something similar to road rage. I have felt many times over the years that I was capable of hurting him. The rage lives in my hands, rolls down my fingers, clenching my fists. I want to hurt someone. I am tears and fury and violence. I want to scream, rip open pillows, toss chairs, punch walls. I want to see my destruction. Feathers floating, overturned furniture, raged holes in drywall. When I get mad like this around my three-year-old son, I have to say to myself like a mantra, don't touch him, don't touch him, don't touch him. Touching him with this rage coursing through me only ends in my shame and my son's shock and what else I do not know. Only time will reveal that. I have never hit him, but the line between hitting and not hitting is porous. In this not hitting gray area, there are soft arms squeezed too tight, a red superhero cape, Velcro, cla Velcro clasp around his neck, forcefully yanked off, a child picked up and thrown into his crib. For me, it is better not to touch at all. Only a few years ago, I remember judging a mother on the bus for smacking her child. Now I have only empathy for her. Mom rage can change you, providing access to parts of yourself you didn't even know you had. Uh, oh my God, I'm going to cry. <laughs> I know. All of a sudden now, it's so crazy, you guys, because Brandy and I both read this article and reached out to Minna Dubin. She wrote this in the New York Times. And there was another follow-up article about specifically how this mom rage is during the pandemic. But there is something very different I felt this way when I first read it. And then we spoke all day with, with Minna. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. And I didn't get emotional at all, but now having you read it again, all of a sudden, like here I am again in that same place where it's all the chills and emotion and a little stuck in your throat. Well, and that's why I wanted us to read it for everyone listening, because unless you read her words and you listen to her voice and her style of writing, it's hard really to wrap your head around what she's talking about. I mean, yeah. I think what I identified with is when she talks about the red superhero cape forcefully yanked off, a child picked up and thrown into his crib. We're not talking about child abuse. We're just talking yeah. about that edge, that frustration, the clenched fists that, that all of us 100% have felt, but we're too ashamed to talk about, or it's embarrassing. We don't want people to know who we are when no one's watching. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, this is a really, really important episode. It's not heavy. Like it's, it's, there's a lot of laughter. There's a lot of fun in the episode. Um, we all share a lot of our own experiences and Minna also shares how she thinks we can get rid of the stigma around mom rage, how we can help ourselves and other moms around us reduce that feeling so that we don't have that feeling that then leads to all that shame and and sort of, you know, embarrassment afterwards. So I hope that you guys enjoy it. It's an absolutely fantastic interview and all of her info is down below, including both articles. So you guys can read both articles in full. Um, and I really recommend doing that. 
Yeah. Oh, I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about during Friday's happy hour because yes. I re-listened to our interview. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is a lot. So this is not the first time that you guys are going to uh, listen to her. She's going to be back on the pod. It's so good. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, enjoy. And we'll see you Friday for happy hour. Yay. Cheers. Momhood. Momhood. <gasps> Funny. actually found you and all of the articles that you've written through Annie Tevlin. She's the founder of Skin Owl. She's been a guest of ours before and she does this really cool thing where she shares links that she's inspired by, that she found useful and helpful to some of her friends and networks and moms. And uh, as soon as Orly and I read that, we're like, wait a second, we need to have this woman on the podcast. And I'm so glad that you weren't so busy with all the other people asking you, like the New York Times and Good Morning America, that you had time for momhood. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. I really like doing podcasts. It's new for me. Um, but yeah, I'll have to check her out. Uh, I've not, I don't know her, but I'll check that out. Yeah. She is so, she's so wonderful. She's one of those people who you feel like really sees you. She's very, very insightful and really funny. You would love her podcast and you should definitely be a guest on there. But yeah, thanks to Annie for introducing us when I, as soon as I emailed you, I screenshot and sent it to Brandy and I was like, oh my God, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. And when you wrote back, I screenshot that right away. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So we're so, so stoked. I am so excited to be here. This is so fun. So let's give a little bit of context real quick. Obviously, in the intro, people heard, you know, your career, the different facets of your career. But this particular article kind of went viral in The New York Times. um, And it was titled, (laughs) I'm going to physically explode mom rage in a pandemic. Can you kind of just give us a little bit of context at how that came to be that article? Um, you know, what really prompted the need to write it and and share it, which we're so glad you did. Sure. Well, the article is a follow-up to another piece I did for the Times in September 2019, which was a personal essay about my experience of mom rage. And I got such a big response to that one. Um, And I got all these emails from moms from around the world, really intense emails. You know, many of them say, I'm crying as I write this. Thank you so much. Um, I... I think I'm the worst mom in the world. I can't believe this is a thing. Um, I feel so relieved, you know, less alone. So I got all these emails, which was really affirming, and I felt really good that I did it. And then, you know, over the months, the emails slowed down, as, you know, is to be expected. And then all of a sudden, the pandemic hit and shelter in place happened, and I start getting more emails again. Like, it just, like, all of a sudden. And And I had this feeling, it didn't make any sense. I just had this feeling that, moms were experiencing more mom rage during the pandemic and they were desperate and probably at home in their beds googling mom rage that was my guess <laughs> and they found my article here's here's the thing it's like we we've heard about postpartum and manic depression um and like having no patience but i feel like this is a fairly new term because it almost feels like you're given an excuse to be tired and upset and frustrated and lose your temper like during the fourth trimester phase or if your kid is going through the terrible twos. But the fact that you really, for me, educated me on mom rage and and that this is ongoing, this happens anytime. And I think that was something that women resonated with to, to, to see everything you had written um, about this and, and so candidly too. Yeah, it felt like 
to me, it felt like a thing that needed to be named separately from the fourth trimester or postpartum depression, even though, you know, people are beginning to talk about how postpartum depression can come out as rage. I mean, my son is seven now and I, you know, it's better my mom rage, I guess, but it's not, it's not gone. You know, I'm still struggling with it. And I don't think I have postpartum depression seven years later. So I think it's a whole nother thing. Greater can you than explain? Can you explain what the difference is between like mom rage and just anger? Yeah, I mean, it's sort of just the difference between rage and anger, right? <clears throat> anger, we know what it is. Rage is anger, except it is you're out of control with the anger. Like a lot of people who describe mom rage will talk about like their throats being sore because they were like. Mm. Uh, like growling, not just yelling, but growling. Um, and, you know, people talk about it like there's an animal inside me that came out. You know, it, it almost feels like they don't, moms don't have control over this fury that bubbles up. It bubbles up really quick. It's out of nowhere. And they feel like they didn't, almost like they didn't mean to do it or something and they can't stop it. Well, you've written about the whole out of body experience. And when I was doing research about mom rage, a lot of moms said it's almost like they have this out of body experience. They can't control their voice, the way they feel. Um, and I've, I've definitely experienced that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think one of the hardest parts about it, um, and you touch on it, you know, so perfectly in your article, is that there's such shame around it because we have this idea that moms just as a rule, are, you know, superhuman in their patience, in their martyrdom, in their everything. And like, that's what a mom looks like. That's what she's supposed to look like. And any deviation from that, we are, is met with our own feeling of failure that we're not doing this mom thing the way we're supposed to. And specifically with anger, there's something very hard, I think, for moms to accept when they feel anger, that that's an emotion they're allowed to, especially towards their kids. And so I think that's, that is such a big part of it that you really touch on is that, that ideal we have of moms. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's two pronged. So I think, one part of it is just about gender and anger and if you know women are are allowed or expected or is it appropriate for women to be angry it's really different than for men i think yeah. you know women are allowed to be sad but angry is not something that in our culture is really appropriate and so there is that expectation um, of women not being as comfortable with their anger and not being supposed like allowed to express it and then the other part of it is what you were talking about with the societal expectations of mothers, right? I mean, I feel like every woman has heard that phrase that motherhood is the best job you'll ever have, you know, so, so to not feel yeah. that way or, you know, or to not be floating, you know, in the bliss of motherhood or in gratitude. And especially, you know, I've talked to some people, women who have had a really hard time getting pregnant or you know, their child, uh, you know, was in the NICU for a while. And, and then it's even harder for them, right, to, 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 to not feel shameful about the rage because they're supposed to be even more grateful they finally got this child. There's a lot of shame around it because of the expectations of motherhood. Yeah, I, I've had, you know, quite a few ex very interesting experiences. I mean, I have some with myself that I will share, but where I've watched other people like on social media candidly share sort of the bad parts and not the like, 
Not the like crying because it's overwhelming, but the like, my kid's being an asshole today part. Like, ugh, you know, and there are hundreds and hundreds of comments of people being like, do you know how many people out there can't have their own kids? Do you know how ungrateful you sound? And it is one of the most infuriating trolling that I noticed because it, yeah, it's voiding women of the ability to have all of the emotions that happen because it is a full 360 messy scope of emotions. It doesn't exist, you know, in this small way. And it robs them of that ability to own it because they're going to be vilified for it. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a lot of, I mean, I think even regardless of mom rage, there's a whole lot of judgment, you know, for moms, from other moms, from non-moms, you know, you can't even talk about motherhood publicly without somebody having an opinion. And mom so the, the first article that you wrote was last year. So before pandemic, before shelter in place. And I want to get to that because mom rage is not just because we're sheltering in place and we're no. going through the global pandemic. Mom rage is something that happens during just regular, ordinary times. Can you kind of um, walk us through what leads to going from frustrated to angry to mom rage? There's, I think there's a lot of factors that contribute to mom rage. I think one of them is just the temperament and the like interpersonal connection between the mom and the kid, right? So some of it depends on who you are as a mom and what kind of bandwidth you have. And then also what kind of kid you get, you know, and how you two connect. Mm -hmm. Like I definitely, I think I have more rage with my first kid than with my second kid. And you know, my first kid's not like, yeah, my first kid is tougher for me personally. He's like more spirited. He's challenging in certain ways for me. Um, and yeah. so part of it is that, you know, just like how me and him are with each other. I love that you said the child that you get, because I think uh-huh. that it's it it really validates that like these listen, all of the factors, how they're raised, the parents in their home, the friends, all of those things matter. But they are also come out as their own very specific being with their own very specific personality. Um, Yeah, and sometimes some are more difficult than others. I so relate to that. I had a much, much more difficult experience with my son than I did with my daughter. He's grown out of a lot of it, but any of the mom rage that I really experienced was really only with him. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, I think your partner, if you have a partner, is a big part of it. And I think it can be magnified if your partner is... uh, you know, assist man and raised as a man uh, and what kind of availability they have and what kind of capability they have and how balanced the workload is between you guys. Can you explain cis man? Oh, yeah. For anyone that doesn't. Uh, Yeah, a cis man is uh, a man who is assigned uh, male at birth. So they look like their gender assignment. They relate to their, right? Like they're assigned male at birth and they feel male at birth. The two things connect. Right, okay. Um, and I think, you know, the lack of structural support for women and moms is like, is a huge part just being raised in a patriarchy where there is not very much structural support for mothers. You know, there's no universal health care. We, you know, there's barely any paid leave federally. Um, and then women lose, you know, if they take all this leave, they lose their place or they lose some footing in the workplace. It would help, you know, if men took time off took their paid leave, what they get. And if they had more, you know, there's all these factors I think that are part of it and just not enough time. Like moms don't have enough time to take a break or to relax. And I think especially, and like our individualist culture of America, I think is part of it as well. You know, this, this village to like raise a family, there is not that much of that, especially I think in white culture, it's just 
I don't see that as much. I think there's more of that, like family raising a kid sometimes in black culture and in queer culture, but just like in white straight culture, it's not really like that. It's very isolated. Absolutely. I've, I've seen that with a lot of my friends that don't live in the U.S., whether they're African, um, Polish, Hungarian, I mean, close friends where it is about everyone hands on deck. The entire family is involved in raising the children. It's, it's not even a question or a favor. I mean, if you can live with your entire family or live on the same street or in the same duplex, you do. And um, you're right about that. Here, it, it's a burden. It's um, not accepted. It's, it's something that is even frowned upon if you're trying to like barter with your family. Can you help with this? You know, nope, that's not my kid. Why, why is that? I don't know. I don't know why it's like that. I mean, I, I can only guess that there's something about the individualism of this culture of like, and the, you know, the family unit, America's so about that, about like the home and the family unit of like, you know, stereotypical, like mom, dad, two kids. Like, I don't know, it's something about it. It's like part of our culture, especially white culture. You know, when I think about that and I think about why I look at my parents and we are very much like that, meaning my kids are my responsibility. They are not the the family responsibility. They are mine. And uh, it doesn't bother me really because when I look at my parents, to me, they've been a really great example. My mom, especially, she worked when I was younger. Her and my dad prioritized date nights and leaving and they didn't come to every soccer game. They didn't go to tournaments. You want to go to the tournament, you get a ride with Sammy. If her mom will take you, cool. We'll, you know, we'll give you some cash. Like, you know, we got our own life. Right. And I loved that so much because to me, it was a great example that I could be a mom because I cannot be the mom that sacrifices everything. And I also don't want to be the grandma who's still sacrificing. Like, I want my independence once I've earned it. Like, I want that. So I don't know if that is individual, if that if that's what you're talking about. But I do think there is the right that you can have as a grandparent to say, I want to be involved, but this is the time we worked so hard. This is the time to travel to all the places. This is the time to retire. This is the time to, you know, go on the bike rides all weekend, which is like what my parents do. If it works, they're there to help. But, you know, and and I admire that because that's kind of what I want for myself. But I wonder if that's bad as we're talking about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, I don't My parents live on the East Coast and I'm on the West Coast. So they're like, you know, they come every few months. I mean, not right now, but. Uh, and I wish, like, I see other people who have those grandparents who are just, you know, take over and do all the stuff. And although my in-laws are, are great, um, I do feel jealous of those people. Like the people whose parents take the kids for like a week or two and they go on vacation, just the couple. <laughs> I'm so jealous. And yet I know I'm not going to be that kind of grandparent because I'm not that kind of mom. Like I'm like, take my kids, please. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you just talked about how, you know, if you don't have family that's close or available, um, we're managing everything. We're managing working from homes, managing the house, depending on your partner, you might be doing almost a hundred percent of the daily duties of the mothering, the parenting, the household chores, all the busyness. Um, how do we lessen the burden on moms, the, the emotional burden, especially? That's a very good question. <laughs> I mean, I think I think part of it is, is um, widening the conversation, you know, getting it out there. And I think that that has been happening. Like, 
it has become more of a thing to talk about what's hard in motherhood. Uh, it is much less revolutionary now than it was five years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that, I mean, for me, I, I remember a year or two ago, I had a conversation with my husband and I, I said, he was really nervous. And I was like, we need to sit down and break down all the jobs. Mm. You know, like even the, in, even the invisible work jobs, like keeping track of kids' school holidays, you know, cause like I keep track of that. He never knows. I'm like, Monday's going to be a holiday. It's, you know, whatever day, not a national holiday, but it's a school holiday. And he'll be like, oh, and he doesn't have to keep it on his brain because he's not going to take off of work. Cause I have, a, I have the flexible job. So I'm the one who knows it's happening, you know, yeah. so breaking down, breaking down the jobs and figuring out how many things each of you do. I think that can be helpful, especially if it's done in a way that's like, Fair. Both, both people trying to be curious about it. You know, not done, not doing it in a way because, you know, if it's a woman and a man partner, right, the man's going to feel sabotaged no matter what. So I think yeah. you, you have to be thoughtful and careful about how you set that up. But I think that can be a pretty powerful exercise. Have you read uh, Fair Play by Eve Rodsky? No. She oh. was our second guest on the podcast. This is a book you need to read. Okay. She, this, it is in exactly about this. It basically, the beginning of the book is all the science and statistics and research about why the invisible workload is so much more intense on mothers and it breaks it all down. And then basically the second half of the book is it teaches you a game. It's a card game that takes every single responsibility there is in a home. Everything that even you didn't think of is there. And basically it's a card game you play with your spouse where you divvy up the responsibilities. And she calls this thing, which I feel like you'd really appreciate. Um, I think it's CPE, Conception, Planning and Execution. Mm -hmm. If you get a card, let's say the card is trash. The CPE from top to bottom is you. That means making sure that you don't run out of trash bags, making sure that when the trash gets taken out, a new bag gets put in, that the trash cans get taken out, that the trash cans get brought back in. Like trash is yours so that the other person doesn't have to keep just a little bit of space to check in on that. I love that. It is, you would absolutely love it. It's so in tune with what you're talking about right now. Yeah. And I think that that is something even for me, who knows that I think that would be a really helpful thing, I still haven't had a really focused conversation with my husband about those things yeah. because for whatever reason, it's still hard and feels unnatural and a little uncomfortable. Yeah, for sure. I don't know why. Are there any other things aside from having a conversation with your partner, any other things that you can think of, whether personal or as advice, that could lessen the burden? the emotional burden? The only other thing I can think of is about creating a village, like creating your own, you know, making and in, working intentionally to create ways to help you outside yeah. of your partner, right? To widen the family, the family uh, resources, I guess, support system, whether that, you know, talking to your friends, fig figuring out, you know, how can you help each other? And I'm not saying I do that, but I think it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and, and that's, I mean, right now during the pandemic, how, I don't even know, you know, I guess yeah. one idea is a pod, you know, but, I mean, we're not even doing a pod because we have my in-laws and they're over 70 years old, you know, we're trying to protect them. So there's, anyway, right now it's just a yeah. whole nother can of worms. Did you r receive any negative backlash when you shared the mom rage article initially? Um, yes, but minimal. I, I got maybe two emails that were not nice. 
I pro- I'm sure I deleted them and I don't remember them. Um, Good. You know what? <laughs> Good. Never mind. <laughs> F them. <laughs> what to, I want to talk more about just mom rage. Like, what does it feel like? What What's an example of something that could happen that puts you over the top? And then when that happens, what do you do? You know, I think everyone has different triggers. And I think one of my triggers and one of my things is about fear and also feeling not listened to. So like for a pandemic example, here's two pandemic examples. Right now, when we go outside, there is all of the stress about the kids touching stuff. I have a seven-year-old and a three-year-old. And especially for the three-year-old, but really for both of them, it's really hard to remember, you know, we pass like a church and there's a railing and they just like, the three-year-old goes right to the metal railing and touches it and does a few flips and I'm like, you know, I'm, I guess I'm getting a little bit less freaked out as we go on. I'm like, okay, we're just going to sanitize. I'm not going to freak out. But at the very beginning, um, I think I had so much fear around the coronavirus that, you know, I would get heated around it. Like I could feel myself boil almost. In, but it was like a fear boil where I'd be like, don't touch that. And like by the fifth thing, I'm like, why do you have to keep touching everything? You know, like I start and, and it's a fear thing. Like I feel it in my chest kind of. So, and then I think another one is like right now, especially, you know, I, I, we live in a very small house. It's like a two bedroom, one bathroom house. And my partner's a therapist and he's doing therapy on zoom in the bedroom, you know, 10 feet away. (laughs) You're trying to keep it quiet for him. Exactly. I'm trying to keep it quiet. And so some of that is like the not listening thing for me or not feeling respected where like, I'm telling them to be quiet and they're like stomping around the house and by like, you know, at first I say it really calmly, don't forget dad is working, you know, I'll say it really nice and I'll use my pleases and all of that. And then by like the seventh time, it starts to feel like a personal affront, which it's not. But by the seventh time, I I can lose it and be like, go outside, you know, I just like, I forget, I forget the name of the person who I quoted in my in the first essay in the New York Times, but he talks about how it's like a system of triggers where like by the eighth trigger, you lose it. And then it can take days to get your body back to zero. Like the next day you could, you could be at like a five. And so you're going to trigger more easily from the day before. I definitely relate to the listening thing. I, I get so, when it's bedtime to me, you know, it's uh, bedtime for us is really difficult uh, lately because right when I get the kids basically like ready, teeth, you know, teeth are brushed everyone's in pajamas, they're in their rooms is the minute my husband comes home from work. Mm -hmm. And it is incredibly frustrating. And, you know, I've tried to do it earlier. I've tried to do it later, but then it just goes even longer. Like it's this, we haven't found a sweet spot yet. And so I will be like, all right, guys, come on, go in and brush your teeth, go in and brush your teeth. And there'll be this moment where all of a sudden I like, I'm just like, I, I don't know why, but I think when I do it, it's a combination of yelling and I like stretch out my words. I'll be like, how many times do I need to say? Like, it's this weird because I'm like, I the get clapping, so- the loud clapping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also like, I, yeah. which I, I've told Brandy, like, it's like I need to hit something and I will smack my hands together as like a stomach, you know, and it's like you do it. You don't feel any better. It's a release that's probably needed, yet it doesn't give you the same payoff a release gives you. It sort of floods you with 
a little bit of embarrassment that you couldn't control yourself. I'm trying to teach my, you know, trying to teach my kids not to lose their temper, yet here I am. It is this very weird dance, yet it's, to me, it's, it's an indication that something needed to come out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, if I get to that point, I don't know what I need, but I either needed 10 minutes alone or I needed something because something needed to come out of me. Yeah. I'm relating so hard. <laughs> I was just going to say, I also, the teeth brushing, I also really struggle around teeth brushing. And I don't know why it's such an issue. Just brush your teeth. I ask you to do this every morning and every night. Nothing ever changes. Why can't we just do this thing? And, you know, when I'm not, I, and, I, and I had so many nights where I was flipping out, flipping out, flipping out. And, and the clapping thing, I also, I know about that. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. Um, and when I, I have found that having a, like in my calm moments, I'm able, like I was able to restructure teeth brushing. It's not like it's perfect, but now I'm like, okay, we're doing stories after teeth brushing. And if I don't see good teeth brushing, then there's no stories. And so, you know, I don't know that I'm always that like cut and dry about it, but I'm like, you just lost one story. I'm not seeing good teeth brushing. You know what I mean? And that sort of helps. <laughs> like, I feel like when you're not in your rage moment, you have the brain capacity to be like, what I'm doing is not working. How can I be more creative? You know, but in that rage moment, you're just like, brush your goddamn teeth, you know? Yeah. Going back to uh, the way we connect to our children and how they are exactly who they are meant to be from the moment that they're made, in, in my opinion. Um, for, for me, when I've experienced this before, I feel like I have to put more work into my parenting skills. Like as I'm listening to both of you, totally relate to that. I get mom rage, I get upset. But when I'm laying in bed, I'm like, what work do I need to do on myself that I haven't um, worked on? Whether it's issues from my childhood, issues in my marriage, issues at work, insecurities because of the pandemic. And then how can I be a better parent? Why am I not remembering things that I've read or what book do I need to take time out to read to learn the positive parenting tricks, how to be creative, understanding where my child is developmentally so I can connect with them on that way. If something that I say doesn't register with them after three times, I have to be able to check myself and be like, I'm the adult, I'm the grown up. I have to stay safe. I have to stay patient because I'm teaching them how the world works. I'm creating the culture that they know. I'm supposed to be modeling the behavior. So, so for me, I have to always put that mirror in front of me and, and understand for me, it's not about them. It's, it's my bad. Yeah. And um, what, when do you get to a point where you decide, okay, mom rage is a symptom but what is the real cause? Is it work we have to do on individuals as moms? Is it the work we got to do with our significant others? Um, or learning parenting, you know, better parenting practices? Yeah. Um, I think that's really important. And when you are deep in a, a shame space, it's really hard to do that kind of good, smart, proactive thinking. And I think after mom's rage, they're like, that doesn't may not come for a few days. Cause instead afterwards they're lying in bed and they're just like crying. Cause they're like, I'm the worst mom in the whole world. Like that feeling can be just totally overpowering. And most moms then don't feel like they can talk to their partner cause they're so ashamed. Mm. So I think, I mean, I think that that thinking that you're talking about, you know, does happen eventually mm -hmm. and is really important. Um, 
And for me, you know, I think therapy is important for me anyway. It has been. I love my therapist. <laughs> um, and then having, you know, finding yourself an unbiased witness, whether that's a therapist or even better, um, or not better, but in addition to some mom friends who, yeah. who you can really be real with and who know what you're talking about. And I always say, like, it's best to find mom friends, some mom friends who have more kids than you or older kids. So that they can like, you know, they've just like, they've been there, they've done that. And they're going to be like, yeah, it's fine. You know, people who are just, even though like, of course, like mom rage is not fine. I just feel like the shame makes it so much worse. And if you can not get stuck in that so that you can do this proactive work that you're talking about, that feels like a really big deal to me to be able to speak it and move past it so that you can then do that work. I'm so torn sometimes about Brandy and I, you know, talk about this a lot. Brandy is very intentional and very purposeful and very like. Try to be, try. Yes, yes, yes. No, she is. She is. Even in the moments when things are going awry, there's sort of like a a method to her, to her madness, you know, and I am much more, uh, I I don't have a plan for anything and I just sort of go with where my heart's at at the moment Mm -hmm. or whatever. And sometimes I feel like, with our kids, you know, the reaction they get from us, no, maybe I didn't, I wish that I had said it more calmly, but it is not, I don't feel it is always my responsibility to create a world in which they get everything just the way they want in just the way they need, because that's not how they're going to get it in the real world. They're going to have to deal with things that come to them. They're going to have to mold themselves in certain environments. Like, And so I always struggle with that idea. And and Brandy, I remember she and I had this conversation a long time ago about how when she goes to the market with her kids, you know, that's not their job to sit there at the market and have to be, you know, well behaved and, and sit for an hour while she has to go food shopping. But I was like, but that's life, you know, like, sure, it's not their job. They don't have a job there too, you know, like they gotta go a lot. Sometimes they have to do something they don't wanna do. And that's just how it's gonna be. And sometimes you have to behave even when you're doing something you don't want to do. And so so for me, I struggle a lot with the like, what is my responsibility and my self-work and what is theirs? They have a responsibility too, you know, like they've got to listen as well. It's not just about me perfectly wrapping my message so they can hear me. You got to listen sometimes. And so I find myself really struggling between those two whether it's my responsibility or theirs. Have you ever had that feeling where you're like, sure, I could do this work on myself, but you know what? This is a you problem. (laughs) Because sometimes I do. Yeah, well, I feel some of that for me, it translates to me as um, like a sort of self-care thing. Like what do I need and what what do they need? And am I going to give them their needs or am I going to take care of my needs in this moment? And sometimes they can, you know, you can figure out a way where both needs get met. But I think I do have those moments like when my kid wants to go somewhere and I want to, I don't want to go there again. We've been going to that particular like dirty Creek every day for five days. And I want to go to, <laughs> you know, the further away, nicer Creek or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and like, that's an example of just like, do I do this to make them happy or am I going to do what I want to do? And how do you, what do you do in that moment? For yourself, like, is there a process that, you know, you go through a a sort of a mental process of like, okay, pros and cons, is it worth it, whatever? Or is it just in the moment you're like, yeah, fuck it. I want the nice creek. (laughs) (laughs) 
I think it, I think it depends on, on the day. My son is a master negotiator. So sometimes I tr we try and negotiate, like I'll be like, well, if we go here, then we can go there the next, you know, four times or whatever. We'll try and negotiate with each other or like he'll often just be like, he's very rigid and I think so am I. And he'll just be like, no, no, no. And me and my partner are trying to be like, instead of saying no, make a proposal, you know? Mm. And so then he'll try and negotiate with us, which is a little more helpful than us trying to negotiate with him because we're probably more flexible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say my kids are younger, so I have it, you know, I barely, so my daughter Millie just turned three and Sunny is going to be one next week. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I mean, she does a little bit of negotiating, but really I haven't experienced that yet, you know, where I can't like flip the script or, or come up with a different fun idea because at the end of the day, like, yeah, I definitely try to get what I want to do um, done. For right. sure. I mean, but I try to do it in a way where she feels like she's winning because then it's like calm or, um, or, you know, teach her about sharing or taking turns. So that's kind of my idea when I try to be creative, but at the same time, like get what I need. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You probably get more accomplished than I do, but you know, uh, sometimes I don't have the ability. So, uh, Minna, I wonder like, do you have, if you could have a hope that through all of this, through this sort of these multiple articles kind of going viral and opening up a conversation, what do you wish the conversation was around mom rage? I think I wish that it would become a larger, more like a politicized issue, to be honest. Like, what do you mean? I mean, like, I wish that it would be um, that it could grow enough to actually go into policy mm -hmm. in terms of mothers and families getting fiscal and structural support. Like schools, for example, like public schools, I mean, probably private schools too. Um, why do they end at two? Nobody's done work at two. You know what I mean? Like that's an example of like the system and that's, and the structure of our society is not, um, it's not geared towards parents. Like that kind of school system is an old system based on families where the mothers didn't work at, outside of the home. And so they were able to go pick their child up at two. You know what I mean? Like yeah, things absolutely. like that. Like there's all these structures that don't support mothers, especially working mothers. Well, actually all mothers work, especially mothers who don't, who don't have flexible jobs and work outside of the home. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that I, my hope is that um, I think both like those conversations we were talking about, about um, women having with their husbands around work, in, inside the home, like that feels really important and just getting um, getting the homes to be more equal. And I think it's it's sort of a tricky conversation right now because everyone says like, oh, you know, my, my husband is, he's like really great in terms of like a man, right? Like he's a great, he's, he's <laughs> one of the best. Like he does so much more work than my father did, right? I mean, and I'm not even talking about my dad, right? Cause I think my dad is great, but my dad can't cook anything except for oatmeal. <laughs> right? like my husband actually can make meals and like and does a couple times a week you know what I mean so like yeah. I think there's some resistance to having those conversations because we're like there's some way that we feel like men have evolved in some ways and so we can't we're like oh my God. yeah I don't know it makes it hard 
Well, I think since the pandemic, there has been small steps in, in making this happen. I mean, I've seen it all over in my home and my girlfriend's homes where, yeah, the men are finally seeing or the partners are seeing really that load of motherhood at home and employers are now seeing it. There's been huge shifts um, in businesses and, and companies. And, you know, we're, we're, there's small steps at least happening because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right for I think in some homes, men are pulling their weight in a different way. And women, women are pulling their weight in a different way and like an even more way, which I think is why there's like this breaking point happening right now that moms are going crazy. It reminds me of something you wrote in another one of the articles that you sent us, which I wanted to, I, there's a couple more questions we have on Mom Rage, and then I really want to talk about your uh, book that you're, you're working okay. on, uh, Motherhood is a Motherfucker, mm -hmm. such a fantastic <laughs> title. Um, but there was something you talked about in there where you were talking about the, con the, the fact that there's no female, uh, for lack of a better word, female term that correlates to being a gentleman uh -huh. because we naturally do those things by default. We put ourselves last by default. We think of other people's first by default. We're conscious of people's spaces and feelings and bodies and all of the things that when we say to our sons, you know, be a gentleman, it's like, be courteous, think of other people, that there isn't even a word that you could use for a girl because it's like, when have you ever had to say that to a girl? When we are young girls, to when we are teenagers, to when we are young women, when we are in relationships, when we are married and mothers, um, that it starts at that young age and it just keeps on going. Yeah. Expect to be a lady, right? Yeah. Yeah, it starts so young. I mean, I, I don't even think we realize it, that we're doing it, you know? And at, part of it is just mimicking, right? Like my son mimicking my husband and my daughter mimicking me. I mean, I see it all the time. She like runs around in my high heels and my purses, you know? And I don't hardly wear high heels and purses, you know? <laughs> it's really interesting. How do we talk to our children about mom rage? Like what happens in your home after you've lost it? Um, what kind of repair happens later with, with your kids? And what do they think about um, that experience, whatever it may be that happened? We're pretty good about repair in my house. Maybe because it happens a lot, but I feel like it's not that hard for me to say I'm sorry. And I try to do that. I really do. I try and uh, mostly with my son to talk to him. And, and usually the repair happens immediately. Like usually we'll sort of escalate until it like hits, you know, ahead or whatever. And then immediately either one of us is, gets upset and we'll, you know, we'll start connecting with each other. You know, the other day I felt like I flipped out and I shouldn't have, and he was also flipping out. I said to him, you know, you know how you and uh, your sister have goals because they each have certain goals. Her goal is to not yell, not not cry and scream and to use her words uh, when she doesn't like something he's doing. And his goal is to um, to ask before he touches. Those are, those are yeah. good. Those, those are the main things those two need to work on. And um, I told him, you know how you guys have goals? And he said, yeah. And I said, you know, mommy has a goal too. And he was very interesting. And I said, what's your goal? And I said, my goal is to listen better. So that when you're telling me something and you feel like I'm not listening to you, I need to work on actually listening. Cause that's like some part of our dynamic where like he'll want something and I'm just like, no, you know, you can't have that thing or whatever it is. And he starts to get agitated and I start to get agitated. Cause I'm like, I said, no, 
you know? And, yep. but sometimes like really what I need to stop and do when he starts getting agitated is to stop and listen and really figure out what's going on for him that he's like getting heated about this thing. Like it must be representing something else for him or whatever it is. And I said, you know, let's, uh, let's make a code word when you feel like mommy's not listening. Has it come into play yet? It's come into play. He's used it a few times. It's like, he is such a funny kid and his code word is a number, you know, it's like nine, eight, four, three. Oh my God. Love it. Um, Yeah. He's used it a few times and once he used it perfectly and it worked and a few other times it was just like random, you know, and I was like, you're not really using it. I feel like I'm good. I'm so desperate for an update on this because I'd be so curious if when you're feeling the mom rage boiling up, if he goes nine, eight, four, if you're like, shut the hell up you know it's like like at that moment is it the thing that that pulls you out of it or does it send you over the edge I could be like how dare you use your code on me right now (laughs) because you feel so vindicated in your fury (laughs) yeah Yeah. oh it's so good yeah that's a I, I love the idea though of sharing this process with our kids of being like you know mom's not perfect like I think we definitely know that from being kids and looking at our parents and assuming they know everything about everything and then as you get older your relationship with them becomes so much deeper because you understand that they were just young people trying to figure it out and you relate to them in such a way so I think kind of cluing your kids in on the fact that this is a process and that you know I I do that with uh, with them. I will go in if I've lost my temper or I got really upset or I stormed off I'll go in and I'll be like you know listen I'm really sorry sometimes I get upset and I need just some space like I need some space to calm down just like you guys do I'm sorry if I scared you or if I hurt your feelings or you know and I try my best to apologize because from everything I've heard from amazing people we've had here in conversations is just like that does a lot to repair it is just the apology the acknowledging yeah you know from a parent's to a child yeah to show that you're fallible like that you make mistakes too is I don't know it feels important to me oh absolutely and I think when we were being raised our parents never did that I mean this is a generational thing you really you weren't allowed to speak to your elders and they were perfect and there was never really an apology and I think a lot of children our age went through their whole life thinking their parents are perfect. They can do no wrong. Um, they didn't have to apologize because they're grownups. And then, um, you know, maybe you don't have any of that work repair work happening till you're adults. And I did want to bring up the, this point about, about race and privilege in terms of the responses I got and still get like, mm. cause I interviewed, uh, in the second article in Nefertiti Austin who wrote motherhood. So white, And I asked her, uh, and she's black, and I asked her, do you know the term mom rage? And she said, no, I'm not familiar with it. I live in my own little bubble. Like part of it is a mom rage bubble because I write about mom rage. So I just feel like, of course, everybody knows that term at this point. But it also woke me up to be like, okay, who's saying this term and who gets to say it? Nefertiti Austin talked in the piece about how, you know, black women already have that stereotype of the angry black woman. Right. So they don't want they don't want to take on that. They don't want to own the term mom rage to have that on top of the angry black woman. And as she said, it's not going to play the same if she talks publicly about mom rage as if I've talked publicly about mom rage. And I think that that's really true. Like, you know, I was really nervous when I published that first piece. I was very freaked out. I tried to scrub my kids names off the Internet and all their pictures with their faces. Like I was really nervous. 
And when nothing happened, I was like, oh. And I thought I was just, you know, it was just lucky. And since those days I've been like, oh, it's cause I'm white and like, you know, middle-class like that I have this class privilege and this race privilege where I'm allowed to speak about mom rage and be on like Good Morning America and MSNBC and talk about it. And probably the majority of the audience still looks at me and is like, she's probably a good mom still. Gosh, you know? that is. So I think it, so it's it... an important topic to talk about. And I feel like I have the privilege to talk about it and maybe I should keep talking about it cause I have the privilege to talk about it. But I don't know. It's it's a it's kind of sticky. Is there anything that we can do? Uh, anyone listening who feels like maybe they're in that position of privilege as well, where they could talk about this and sort of get the benefit of the doubt. Anything that we could do to further the conversation so that it is uh, maybe easier or more acceptable for women of all races who don't find themselves in that kind of situation where they feel like they can freely talk about it without some sort of. I mean, I don't know. I think that the more it gets talked about in general and becomes, you know, a term that is just popularized, then some of that stigma might lessen in general. I feel nervous about like it staying, mom rage staying in this like white motherhood realm because I, of course, rage crosses all lines. Like all moms feel rage, right? Like it's not just white moms. So I think it's just important to keep talking about it. I'm so glad you added that in. Okay, let's talk about your book. We got a little bit of a sneak peek about it. Can you tell us a little bit more? Yeah, so the book is made up of a mix of lists and essays, and some of the lists are almost like mini memoirs. And I started doing them, um, I started doing the lists as a public art project in the Bay Area where I was posting them in public places like laundromats and yoga studios. And it was sort of like a react, my kid was, my son was two when I started it. And it was kind of a reaction to social media and feeling like what I saw on social media was not my lived experience of motherhood. And that (laughs) I needed, like, I needed some grit and some reality. And so I just started writing these lists that, you know, some of them are really list-like, like things I do while my son is screaming from his crib, refusing to nap. Or, you know, and it's just like little short lists. And then some of them are, you know, stories really. And one of them actually was, is a list that sparked the mom rage essay. It was a list about trying to cross the street with my son and him mid street going boneless and me having to like pick him up by his arm and get him to the other side and like people on the street, like noticing and making comments and being like, get his ass up. And it was just... Anyway, that started the whole the whole essay was that list. Yeah, I'm uh, the email you sent us that gave us a couple of the early look at the essays had two lists in there. This is when I this is when my response to these was, oh my gosh, these are fantastic. I'm sitting outside with my coffee, reading alone. I'm smiling and getting the chills, screenshotting passages I don't want to ever forget and making notes for all the future episodes we're going to have to have with you. <laughs> it was... Amazing. Okay, here I have. So realities of a MILF and you put new acronyms and then explaining what it is. So like number one was instead of M-I-L-F for MILF, it was M-I-L-P-M-L. Moms, I'd like to pack my lunch. Moms, I'd like to never let sing. Moms, I'd like to check my butthole after pooping. Moms, I'd like to headbutt when I'm mad about almost, when I'm mad and I almost break her nose. Moms, I'd like to sit on her lap while she potties. And it's one thing after another where it's these funny experiences of momhood, but you turn them into a list by creating new acronyms for them. Right. Like right. Also, just things that are so relatable, like reasons why you and your best mom friend never see each other. 
naps. Your kids are on opposite nap schedules. I mean, I feel that so hard. It's like you never see your friends anymore because if the kids are on opposite nap schedules, you're never going to see each other because we need our nap time. We need our time to ourselves. Yeah, this one I love. What I mean when I say to my partner, quote, I need a break. Mm -hmm. Number one, if you don't remove this child from me, I'm going to hurt you or him or myself, possibly all at once in a Tasmanian devil spin move I've been perfecting in my off hours. Please look away so I can inhale this pint of ice cream in private and eat my insanity like a proper mother. Number three, I haven't smoked a cigarette in eight years, but right now my lungs are clinging desperately to the dream that smoke will fill me up in the way all the way up to my toes. Number five, pedicure and massage, ladies night, a walk, the supermarket, the pharmacy, and the mechanic do not count as real time away. So don't give me that, quote, now it's my turn for a break. Look when I walk in the door with the grocery. Oh. <laughs> oh, I, you know what? What I love about the work that you're doing is even just reading through these lists and through your essays. And that's why this book is going to be a New York Times bestseller. I just know it. You and Eve Rotsky are going to be like way up here together in the bestsellers list. Um, it just, it's so relatable. It, it's, yeah. it's giving us permission that, oh my God, other moms feel that way. Like things that you've never even thought of that you've said out loud, uh, that you've even said to your girlfriends that you trust and you, and you can be vulnerable with. Um, oh, the, the way that you write is so spot on. Thank you. Yeah, I think yeah. I think what you said actually is about what it will give to women. I think that's the goal, really. I don't think I knew that was the goal when I was writing the lists originally. I think I was trying to give myself the permission to feel it. But I think what the book does is give other women and other moms the permission to to just like breathe, to feel that relief and to end that recognition and to laugh about it. You know, I think that helps for me. Like when I write my stories, I can see them from like an outsider's perspective. And especially if they're funny, I'm able to laugh at myself. And that feels like a relief to like take it all just like a notch down in the serious, you know, scale. Yeah. Yeah. It dissipates some of it and it becomes exactly a little bit funnier. So I know you said right now you're looking for a publisher for the mm -hmm. book. So what, so that everyone can follow along on this journey. Yeah. Is there any way that those uh, people that are listening right now can help you? What's the best way? Is that following you on social? Is that sharing the articles through the New York Times or sharing them directly from your website? Like what would be the best call to action for people to help you right now that we can get this book out there? Yeah, I think, sure. I mean, following me on social media always helps. Um, sharing the lists or um, or the article always helps. Um if they want to give us your handle, uh, give us your Instagram, Instagram is at momless. Uh, and then, you know, if they want to be kept up to date on stuff that's happening with the book or publications, if you go to my website, minadubin.com, at the top, there's a little bar where they can put in their email to be on a newsletter that I send maybe once or twice a year. Um, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> any listeners who have or who are agents or who have agents or publishers that they're connected to, I'm looking. I yeah. think it's going to be a big book. I'm excited. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, just the tiny snippet that we got, I was so sad when I realized I went through all four docs that you sent. Yeah. I just wanted more and more and more. And the essays really, they're saying, they're funny and they're relatable, but they're saying something very powerful. The one about, and, and you know, it's like, I don't want to tease it because no one else listening is going to have it, but the one about Smile Baby, about the performance that we 
start doing, especially with our daughters, that we start asking of them early on and that performance as we go on and how do we even separate who we are from the performance we're so used to putting on? I mean, these these are really big conversations sort of disguised in very digestible essays and then it sits with you. It really does. These these essays sat with me all day. Uh, and and to the point that today, I mean, I was just like, ee! I was like counting down the minutes before we could talk. Yeah. So this is absolutely going to be a big book. I'm just so incredibly excited for you. And um, I'm going to start racking my brain for connections <laughs> that I have that I could Thank facilitate. You. Yeah. And, I'm, you know, and my thought also with the list is that it will work for moms. Like I can just imagine, you know, especially nursing moms, you know, yeah. you have those like 15 minutes where you're just like flipping through on your phone or flipping yeah. through a quick book, you know, just the, it's, they're so easily digestible in that short form. Oh yeah. This is going to be one of those, um, like mom summer reading where moms are like, you have to read this book. Like this woman gets me. Like I feel seen. <laughs> like she is saying everything I've ever thought and she wrote it down so easily. A hundred percent. I mean, your books, it's happening. Thank and we will do everything we can to make sure it happens. Thank you. Oh, well, Minna, thank you so much for taking the time. Um, guys, we are going to have all of her information down below so that you can just scroll down to the show notes, subscribe to her newsletter, follow her on social media, screenshot the list that you relate to most and share them on your social media and tag her so that more moms can see it because I really do think it's super helpful. And for those of you that uh, follow us, you know it's at Momhood Show on Instagram. We've got Momhood Live Happy Hour this Friday, every Friday, 3.30 Pacific Standard Time. Um, I'll be hosting this Friday. And also our Facebook group, our private Facebook group. I feel like there's something so magical and special that happens in this closed group where people are vulnerable and real and ask for advice and share things. It's a totally different feel and community. So if you're not part of our private Facebook page, find us by searching Momhood. Yes. All right, guys. Well, we'll see you on Friday. And Minna, thank you again so, so thank much. Thank you for having me. This was great. All right, bye guys. Bye. Bye.